Today we're speaking on a kingdom of joy as we continue our sermon series on joy in Christ. My goal through this series is to, to keep our focus first and foremost on Jesus Christ. Really, I think that's the goal of every sermon, every sermon series ever, but especially during this time to look at the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at this theme that runs throughout scripture of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ. And it might seem odd at a time when there's riots going on, demonstrations, racial inequality, racial injustice, all of these things that are going on. It might seem odd to talk about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and specifically the joy that we have in that kingdom. But let me ask you this. Do you want resolution to the troubles of this world? Do you want proper justice in the injustices of this world? Do we want peace in the chaos of this world? Those things are all things that will find their place and will become truth and reality and and take shape in this world in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the news stories and the online videos and our heart aches and our our eyes are just filled to overflowing with tears at the injustice that is going on and at the chaos that it's causing in our world, I pray that we would long for, pray for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul states, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now He's entering into this debate that people are having about whether it's okay to eat or drink certain things. But his point here is this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of those things. He's saying, don't get caught up in that. He says, but here's what the kingdom of God is about. It is of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's what we're going to be focusing on today, that aspect of joy. And I don't think you can separate righteousness, peace, and joy. But for the sake of the theme of this sermon series, we're going to focus on the joy that is ours through the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? And what does it have to do with joy? Well, let's look at where this kingdom is proclaimed in Scripture. And again, this is a massive theme, so we don't have time to look at all the places in Scripture. It's prophesied all throughout the Old Testament, but we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. So we're back in the Christmas story here. And Gabriel says in chapter 1 of Luke, verses 32 to 33, he will be great, speaking of Jesus, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So there's that kingship. He's going to reign on David's throne. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, this baby, this Messiah, Jesus Christ, who we know is God with us, He's going to reign and his kingdom will last forever. If we fast forward in time a little bit, 
John the Baptist comes on the scene and he is a forerunner to Jesus Christ, a prophet kind of preparing the people to greet or to meet Jesus and to hear Jesus's message. And John the Baptist comes and it says he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So here's the summation of John's message, John the Baptist, and it is repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Then if we fast forward a little bit further to Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes and he begins his public ministry and he begins to preach. And Matthew records the theme of those early messages and he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He is continuing on what John the Baptist began, or rather John the Baptist prepared so that Jesus could preach the same message. So, and then if we go a little further into Jesus's ministry in Matthew 4, verse 23, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So there he's still, as the main focus of his preaching, Jesus is proclaiming that a kingdom and this good news about this kingdom that is near. And we'll look at what that means in a second. But first of all, what is the kingdom? What does this mean in scripture? And let's just clear one thing up. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of Christ, uh, all of these are the same thing. They're just all different terms used for God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, all the same thing. The other thing we need to clear up is that the kingdom is not some distant land that God has for us that we're going to go to. It's not some distant spiritual place that God has for us that we're going to go to. It's, it's not just another name of heaven. One day we'll be in the kingdom. It's not something out there that we're going to be taken from here and brought into that. In fact, in one place in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees and they ask him about when the kingdom of God will come. And Jesus replies, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because, and look at what he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. So there is something about this massive theme in Scripture that is not as we think of a kingdom as a distant land with borders around it or boundaries. It's not some spiritual land of heaven that is out there somewhere that we're going to go to. It is something, Jesus says, that where he is at this moment, and he's preaching this message, the kingdom is there. The kingdom of God is in your midst. So you might ask, what is the kingdom then? And the simplest answer is that the kingdom is Christ's reign. Now, Christ rules over everything. It is right and proper to talk about the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. He rules as king over heaven and earth and over all creation throughout all of history and all of time. So yes, Christ rules over everything, but scripture makes or states that there is a difference between how Christ is ruling and here's a good place to look at. This is the Lord's Prayer, or what we know as the Lord's Prayer. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying for three things here at the beginning. The first is, hallowed be the Father's name, the Lord's name. This is saying, Father, may you be worshipped and glorified. That's kind of another way of saying it. Hallowed be your name. So that's the first thing he prays for or teaches us to pray for. The second thing is your kingdom come. Okay, and that's the theme of this sermon here. What is that kingdom that's coming? And then the third thing is your will be done. Now, here's something that's very helpful. While each of those three things can be looked at separately, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, will be done. I believe Jesus is speaking about the same thing in all three. They are all three different ways of talking about the same thing. God's kingdom is present where God's name is hallowed or worshipped or revered and where God's will is done. So these are all three things about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. His name is hallowed, his kingdom has come, or yeah, his kingdom has come and his will is done. Now look at what Jesus says then. He puts a qualification on it or how he wants this to look. May these three things, hallowed be your name, kingdom come, will be done. May it all happen on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is there is a difference between how God's kingdom right now is working in heaven versus how it's working right now on earth. God is sovereign over all of it. But right now in heaven, there is no sin. God's kingdom in heaven, his will, the worship of his holy name, the, the, the living in his kingdom, all of that is being done in perfection with no sin whatsoever. Not so here on earth. God is reigning. His name is somewhat hallowed in this world, somewhat worship. His kingdom is, and we'll look at this in a moment, somewhat present. His will is being done in the sense that he's sovereign over all of it. But let's be very honest, not everybody in this world is longing to and joyously doing the will of God. So what Jesus is praying is, may the reality of heaven become the reality of earth because it's not that way right now. So it is right to talk about right now in the earth, God's kingdom is operating differently than what we could say it is in heaven. And I think what we could say it will be in eternity. Because right now we live in a world that is still infected by and infused with sin. And we see that all the time. Now, Jesus can speak about the presence of God's kingdom in heaven and on earth. And he's praying or leading us to pray that the reality of heaven would come to earth and God's kingdom would reign here just as it is in heaven. What is going to do this? What would cause God's kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven? Well, there would need to be a king. When the king is present, he operates on behalf of his kingdom. So we need a king in order to have a kingdom. And we have that in Jesus. Jesus is God, God with us, Emmanuel, and Jesus is present. So wherever Jesus is present, the kingdom of Christ is present. So we need a king. The second thing is that for the kingdom of God to be present, sin must be dealt with. It must be judged. It must be done away with. 
And we have that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have that in the cross. Sin is dealt with. God's people are made holy through Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. So we have a king. We have sin that is dealt with. And then the other thing you need for a kingdom is people living in that kingdom, living for the glory of God. And that's what the present day church is all about. Ever since the time of Jesus, since the disciples and the early church, the gospel has continued to spread, changing one person after another, saving them from their sins, bringing them into the kingdom. And the kingdom grows whenever somebody becomes a Christian and they become part of the church. And the church is the spreading kingdom of God in this world. So Christ comes proclaiming that the kingdom of of heaven has come near. So how did the kingdom come near? How exactly did it come near? And where is this kingdom and, and kind of how does it come in this world? So let's look at the coming of the kingdom. And there's two ways to talk about this. One is the future sense of the coming of God's kingdom. Later on, Toward the end of the sermon, I want to read Revelation 21 because it's such a powerful passage of what we have to look forward to in Jesus Christ and the perfection of the coming of Christ's kingdom. But for now, let me just refer to a few things. Revelation 21 paints a picture for us of God recreating heaven, recreating earth. It talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus is reigning over perfect, sinless creation, including those that have been saved by Jesus Christ, entering into eternity in his presence where he is reigning over them in his perfect kingdom here on this earth forever and ever. That's the future that the scriptures promise us in Jesus Christ. That's what we have to look forward to. So there's the future coming kingdom. But scripture also talks about a kingdom or aspects of the kingdom that are present now. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus is being questioned by the religious leaders. Not really questioned, more accused of things. They're telling him it's, it's by the power of Satan that you're drawing, you're able to cast out demons. They're basically accusing Jesus, not just basically, they are. They're accusing Jesus of working on behalf of Satan. And here's Jesus's reply. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then, and look at what he says, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, Jesus states it kind of as a question, if it is by the Spirit of God that I come drive out demons. We know it is by the Spirit of God. Jesus is God. He has authority over demons. When he says go, they go. That's why he has that power. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am driving out demons by the Spirit of God. Therefore, when Jesus is saying this, in this crowd of other religious leaders, He is saying the kingdom of God has come upon you. It is there at that time in the past. And there are aspects of the kingdom we can talk about continuing through the present. In Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, we looked at this earlier, but I want to go back to it as well, because again, Jesus refers to the kingdom as a present thing. Something that is here now. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is, present tense, in your midst. 
Jesus is saying, guys, you're looking forward to the coming of the kingdom. You're missing it. It's here right now. In some way, it is here right now. So how? How is the kingdom of God present when Jesus is saying these things? And does that still hold true for us today? Is the kingdom present now? Now, remember, I gave you three things which must be true. For the kingdom to be present, you must need a king. Sin must be dealt with. And there must be a group of people living for God's glory. That's God's will being done. Is the king present today? And the answer is yes. The Bible says that when someone becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells us, is present in us. <clears throat> the Bible also says, uh, Jesus promised where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. He says, wherever the church is, wherever people saved by Jesus are, Jesus is present with them. So wherever we as Christians go, whether it's to our homes, to church, to a rally, to work, wherever it is, wherever we go, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is present because the king is with us. Has sin been dealt with? Are we cleansed so that we can bring glory to God? Are we forgiven of our sins? Has the price of our sins been paid for? Yes. The Bible clearly says every believer is saved from their sins once and for all. When we come to Jesus Christ, all of our sin is put on Jesus Christ on the cross and all of his righteousness is counted toward us. We are saved in him forever and ever. Our sin has been dealt with and we, through Jesus Christ, not through our own work, we are made holy. Is there a group of people living today for the glory of God, demonstrating the kingdom at work? Yes, by God's grace. Yes, the church is that group of people, imperfect, struggling at times. But we are the people demonstrating the presence of Christ in us, demonstrating the worship of Christ and the work of the gospel as it saves us in this world. We are ambassadors for the perfect coming kingdom, but the kingdom that is broken through because Christ has already come. There is an aspect of the kingdom that is here, and you and I are it if we are Christians. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. There are some parables in Matthew chapter 13 that are really helpful in this. These kingdom parables talk or start with the phrase, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he goes on to give some word pictures to help us understand. We're going to look in depth at a few of these later, but let me just mention a couple. In Matthew 13, 24 to 33, there are three different parables. One is a crop that is planted by the farmer, seeds that are sown, good crop, and it begins to grow. And an enemy comes in and plants seeds of weeds that grow up with them. And the farmer says, let them grow together. When harvest time comes, we will harvest them and separate them and remove the weeds. And the point there is that the kingdom is growing up in the world, is growing up among the weeds of this world. But a separation will come when Christ returns. Another passage is in verse 31 to 32 of Matthew 13. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And the point here is that it starts small. It's tiny, seems insignificant, but it grows large. So again, you have this idea of the kingdom starting small. And remember, when Jesus comes, yeah, he has all these followers for a while, but they all leave him. And then we're left 
Eventually, with the 11 disciples, the 11 apostles, and then eventually they add another 12. And then it grows slowly, and the church slowly grows. And even still today, we look at the church in the world, and we feel small and insignificant against the things of this world. We are the mustard seed that's growing. We are the gospel at work. And God says, you will continue to grow. The kingdom is growing in this world. He uses another similar illustration in verse 33 of yeast. And at that time, it wasn't like a packet of yeast that you would break open and dump in. It was a ball of dough that had already had yeast growing in it. And they would take off a lump of that and mix it in with a much larger batch of dough and knead it through and then wait. And the yeast would spread. They would knead it again. And the yeast would spread. And they would knead it again. And you only needed a tiny little bit for that yeast to spread through the whole dough. And Jesus is saying, that's what my kingdom is like. It's going to spread in this world. It's going to have a powerful impact. It might look small, but it's going to spread. So the kingdom is growing. But how? Because there will be some that say that the way the kingdom grows or the way we can make the kingdom grow is by making this world look like God's kingdom. When God's justice echoes in our courthouses and from our governments and from our police stations, when God's justice rains down and and the world looks like heaven, then the kingdom is here. That is a backwards way of looking at how we are to change the world. It starts with the coming of the kingdom. And as the kingdom comes, the world's ways are changed. But we could change all the ways of the world that we want And that doesn't bring the kingdom because there is no kingdom without the king. And the king comes, King Jesus comes into people's hearts when they are transformed by him through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46, and I do want to look at these kingdom parables because Christ shifts gears and speaks about the value or the worth of the kingdom. Look at verses 44 to 46. He starts with this treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. And then he retells a very similar story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Think about the themes that these two have in common. The man that finds the treasure in the field and the merchant that finds this pearl of great value. Both of them look at this treasure in the pearl. They look at them and for Jesus, he's saying those represent the kingdom. They look at that and then they look at everything else they own, everything they have. And they go, all that stuff I have is worth nothing compared to what I just found. The kingdom is more valuable than anything else. And the first man, specifically, Jesus says, he joyfully, joyfully sold everything he had because he realized that treasure he just found was worth way more than anything that he had. And here we begin to see the connection, the connection between Christ's kingdom and our joy. So let's look at the joy of the kingdom. All of our deepest needs that we see in Scripture, 
our need to be loved and accepted, our need to be restored to our Creator God, our our need to have our sins washed away, our need to be made righteous, our, our need to live for God's glory, our need to be in right relationship with others, our need to be taken care of, all of our greatest true human needs, all of our purpose that God has for us in creation, all of the blessings that we could possibly imagine, all of these things find their truth and their fulfillment in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says in Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy. There's joy in the kingdom of God. There is joy that is not based on the changing circumstances of this world. It is based on the reign of Jesus Christ, which has already begun and will enter perfection when Jesus returns and he will reign supremely for once and for all when sin is done away with perfectly. The kingdom is already here. We have a king, King Jesus. We have salvation, the cross, the gospel. We are living this kingdom in this world as ambassadors, people, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. But we struggle. We struggle because this idea of this kingdom we have in Jesus Christ seems completely, completely out of touch with, sometimes at odds with what we are seeing and experiencing in this world. And there's a powerful passage in the book of Nehemiah. And in Nehemiah, the people have gone into exile. They didn't follow God. He kicked them out of the land for a long time. They've come back. They've begun to rebuild. They're just getting started. And one day they find a copy of the law and the priests, the Levites, they all get up and they start reading the law and explaining it to the people. And the people's response is to weep and to mourn because they are convicted of their sins. They realize they haven't been following their king. They haven't been following God. They're overcome with conviction and repentance. And then Nehemiah says this in chapter 8, verse 10. He says, do not grieve. Now, there is a time for grieving, and it was right that they, they would grieve. So I just want to make sure, given the context. But he has a point here. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying, yes, you have sinned. Yes, you've fallen away. But don't focus only there. Turn your eyes to the God who gave you this law, who in his mercy is helping you to fulfill it as best you can, and who one day is going to send his Messiah to save you forever. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, we need the strength that comes from the joy of the Lord right now and always. There is strength in finding our joy in the Lord. There is strength in knowing that God's kingdom began to spread all the way back in, in when Jesus came and as the early church spread. There is strength in knowing that God has promised that kingdom will continue to spread in this world and nothing will stop it. There is strength in knowing that even though we face the tensions of this world, the greatest answer for every problem and every need of this world is that people need Jesus. They need to hear about the kingdom. They need to receive the kingdom through Jesus Christ, be brought as new creations into the kingdom. They need to see the kingdom being lived out and demonstrated among God's people, the church, those saved by Jesus Christ. A lot of people 
are asking right now. What do we do? What do we say? How do we respond to our brothers and sisters of color who are suffering and struggling? What do we say to them? What do we say to the people living in the neighborhoods where riots are breaking out? What do we say to them? What do we say to our friends on the police force who are fearful, but they're trying to do their job? What do we say to them? What do we say to the people on the internet and the trolls or our family members that are arguing with us? What do we say to them? First and foremost, I believe the clearest answer from Scripture is that as Christians, we must be 100% convinced that the only meaningful change that will help anybody in this world is salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's how the kingdom comes. And the answer to all of these problems is the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. Where the gospel takes root and lives are changed by Jesus, the kingdom grows. And as the kingdom grows in this world, this world will be changed. And as that happens, love and justice, peace and righteousness and joy will spread. So we need to be fully convinced of the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is the answer for everything in the world. But there's another part too. Because the world needs to see the kingdom in action. They need to see examples of the kingdom. They need to see a demonstration of the kingdom. We as Christians must live as ambassadors of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We must show the world what love looks like. We need to show the world what justice and equality looks like. We need to speak and to act in love in both big and small ways. And I can't tell you today, I'm not qualified to talk about every situation in our culture, every situation in our government, every situation in your life. But I do know this, the more we focus on Jesus Christ, who he is, and his kingdom that is already present and one day will be present fully, and we recognize that we are part of that kingdom, we are saved into that kingdom, and that that is the greatest need of everybody else, and then we understand, I, as a Christian saved by Jesus Christ, have a responsibility to live in such a way that others see the kingdom. Not me, not my own my own ideas, not my political leanings. They need to see the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There is strength in knowing Christ's kingdom will one day ultimately and perfectly and completely come and that the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the earth, the chaos that we see, the inequality that we see, it will all be snuffed out because Christ will reign perfectly and forever. And we see a picture of that in Revelation chapter 21 and I want to end with this. And I want you to think about the joy that will be ours in Jesus Christ on this day when this happens. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. That's the kingdom. It is not just a dream It's not a shallow hope. It is a certain hope rooted in Jesus Christ, accomplished already by him, being carried out in this world through Christians as one heart after another is changed by Jesus Christ, being demonstrated in this world as we live out that relationship and living in the certainty that the kingdom is coming completely and perfectly. So that, my friends, is a great reason for joy. Let's pray, Father. And the tensions of this world. So often we want to find worldly answers to overcome worldly problems. And sometimes we think if those worldly answers could just have a, a Christian spin on them, or a few verses thrown in, or a bit of church history or, or tradition thrown in, then, then everything will be so much better. And God, it's not true. People don't need to just act a little bit more like Christians. They need to be made Christians by Jesus Christ transformed by the gospel. What this world needs is not just changed laws or governments. What this world needs is changed people transformed and brought into your kingdom so that we're no longer living for our kingdom or the kingdom of this world, but we are living in your kingdom and for your kingdom, and we are demonstrating the principles of your kingdom. And God, I pray for those that are struggling right now and seeking desperately for something to hold on to. May they find strength in the joy of the promises that are ours through Jesus Christ, of your kingdom at work now, and your kingdom which will come completely when Jesus Christ returns. In whose name we pray, amen.